In general, creative types fall into two camps. The first camp loves the excitement of creating something flashy, things that people can identify, experience, and viscerally respond to. The second camp is made up of those who care about building a foundation so that other people can create great things upon it. If they do their jobs really well, their work may go relatively unnoticed, but that's okay with them. They can sit back and smile knowing they help other creators do their best work. Tony Minasali, the founder and CEO of SignalWire, describes the satisfaction that comes with building a strong foundation to help developers do what they do best. There's not a lot of effort to empower developers, which is our customer. We care about developers and they have a lot of cool ideas and we want them to be able to take the buffet of all the cool stuff that we've built and arrange it their own way, like art almost. In some ways, focusing on building a foundation isn't glamorous work. But without the foundation of a home, for instance, there is no home. For those dedicated to building new infrastructure, their vision is immense and game-changing when realized. Homes in entire cities are built because people put in the work to build the foundation first. In the technological world, similar groundwork is needed for others to build upon it. And there are levels to all the different kinds of technology that gets created. It's one level to make a program or an application. It's another to build a network. And it's a whole other stratosphere to seek to change an entire industry. On this episode of IT Visionaries, Tony explains how SignalWire is creating telecom software that will ultimately lead to telecommunications network based entirely on the internet. Of course, to get there, it takes a lot of different developments, pieces of the foundation that will eventually change the entire telecommunications industry, and we'll get to that too. Enjoy this episode. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of IT Visionaries. And today, we have the founder and CEO of SignalWire, Tony Minasali. Tony, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. All right, right out the gate, tell our audience, what is SignalWire and what does it do? So SignalWire is the implementation of software-defined telecom. It is the uh, developer network that allows you to create quickly voice over IP, video, text, applications without having to provide your own infrastructure, which is really the hardest part of any kind of app of that type. So, you know, right out the gate, a lot of times in tech, it's very easy to compare a company to another company. You guys actually do it right out. You guys do it on your website, uh, direct comparison to Twilio. So I believe bandwidth is another player in this space. Uh, is that accurate? Like your platform, very similar to Twilio and bandwidth. And we know, well, of course, we'd love to know if so, how are you different? Yeah, that's, it's the same category. So back in uh, the early days, I, I used to work on uh, exclusively open source, right? So I spent a lot of time, I'm an engineer. I was trying to build products and I was dissatisfied with what there was. So I created a project called FreeSwitch, which is a, uh, an open source implementation of a telecom stack written completely in software. Kind of the catalyst for the entire industry, many large players, including bandwidth and Dialpad or Vonage, Five Nines, all, all early adopters of my technology. So, you know, one of the things that really kind of drove me forward on my vision was I was trying to simplify it because some of those companies spent a long time implementing stuff, you know, because it was a, it's a wild west back then. So, you know, in the early days, Twilio was uh, 
not Twilio quite yet or very early. You know, I had a voice over IP developer community, um, all hung out in the same circles. Twilio actually uses some of the software I worked on in my early career um, internally. So our industry has a lot of people that know each other and work together in different areas. So at the commercial level, SignalWire is capable of doing things similar to those. But the bigger goal is to stretch things out more, Mm -hmm. to make more functionality and simplify application development even further. There's kind of a, everyone has their niche focus, you know, like bandwidth is mostly worried about telecom at the carrier level. They're a very good carrier who went public and, you know, is trying to expand on that model. And Twilio was a early CPaaS winner. You know, they kind of took the, the lead in the industry by creating control over what we call the PSTN, the nerdy term for the phone network that we all use every day when we call each other on our cell phones. And so, well, SignalWire is capable of doing those things and we do sell stuff like that, sending SMS programmatically and and phone calls and stuff. Um, We have a lot bigger vision in how that programming is controlled, bringing more real-time aspect to it, building a developer community to to continue the worldwide uh, success we had in the open source side and to create functionality that takes it to another level, including like integrating what we would call the the existing CPaaS and the future of it, which involves, there's all these acronyms. I actually hate them all. <laughs> uh, CPaaS is one of them. The other one's UCAS, Unified Communications as a Service. Yep. Uh, that makes me laugh because Unified Communications was never achieved. So I don't know how we're still doing it as a service, um, but that's what we call it. And we create the building blocks for those kinds of things so that if you are a company and wants to create an application, you can go and use our technology. And ideally, you can create your app with the least amount of, you, you put all of your effort into like the part that makes your app interesting to your customers and not like the boring part of the infrastructure to make it scale and all that kind of stuff. So that's like in a nutshell, the, the reason that it's the progression of a lot of years of uh, you know, careful work going all the way down to, to the lowest level of some of this technology that would probably bore most people to tears if I started talking about it too much. <laughs> well, you know, what's interesting about what you said is, you know, the marketplace has adopted, you know, we've already adopted using the internet as a form of communications as cons- on the consumer level, right? It's in every single application just about where you can communicate with somebody and we understand these are built on the rails of products like SignalWire. To a layperson like myself, if I'm out in like I just was out in El Salvador and I send my mom a text, it gets there. Like it's pretty epic. You know, whatever tool I'm using, it happens in a split second. Talk a little bit about where are the innovations coming from? Because on the surface level, it does seem like every tool can kind of do the core functionality, which is get a video call from A to B, get an SMS from A to B, get a, um, you know, a text record from A to B. Like that seems like that's already here. And you were talking about some really cool innovations that you guys are pursuing what is going to be unlocked in your opinion that, or what do you, what is the company striving to unlock in the future of this type of communications? Or is it more on what the user will experience or is it more on how easy it will be to integrate into future applications? A lot of it has to do with the decentralization of the technology. So imagine that uh, put something in a simpler paradigm like printing. You used to have to go pay someone and go have a giant printing press and someone would print your picture for you. And then like all of a sudden there's Kinko's. Well, that's kind of cool. Like if I just go to Kinko's and they like simplified it for me. And then next thing you know, I can get this really cool laser jet that like prints the same thing that Kinko's used to make me go pay the money for. And I just buy the printer myself. 
So like, as we progress, we try and simplify things and to decentralize them. So you didn't have like one, you know, big printing industry that would like force everyone to pay more and go in one place. Um, a lot of people want to control their own technology and deploy things. So similarly, like the telecom networks of, of the early days had, you know, multiple times monopolies um, where they were broken into pieces because they started just buying each other until they owned all of it. Uh, so that infrastructure for telecom has been held on to for dear life by a lot of companies. So when you want to do something like sending a text message for a long time, that's going through, you know, arcane telecom network stuff that's actually been around for a really long time, but it, it's kind of like uh, you can't even fathom how to set that up for yourself. Like if you want to have your own instance of this kind of stuff. So the real key is that when you have your own ideas to do things, you want to be able to have a space where you can create like your own resources and have like, you might want to make an app where only your cohorts are allowed to see each other and call each other and those kinds of things. And that doesn't exist because most of the cool tools we take for granted are all at the consumer level. So there's not a lot of effort to power developers, which is our customer. We care about developers and they have a lot of cool ideas and we want them to be able to kind of take the buffet of all the cool stuff that we've built and, and arrange it their own way, like art almost. And you mentioned earlier that this journey started in open source. Is that accurate? Yes. So what made you, you know, you were obviously making code, putting it out for public consumption. People could make modifications and improvements on what you had already suggested. What made you decide to turn it into an actual, turn it into its own company? Because, you know, you went from open source to saying like, hey, I want to build SignalWire. I'd love to for you to explain that journey of that decision process. So that's part of my whole vision, starting from, I released the open source project and in, in, uh, I started coding it in 2005. It's written in C. It's like several million lines of C code compiled together. The early version was a lot smaller than that, but I got the core done. And the idea was to make a cross-platform software that would turn a computer into a telecom device. And that's what we call software-defined telecom, where we were trying to remove the, the specific physical layer there would be a different hardware device for every aspect of telecom. You install it physically and you have to plug those exact wires in and everything. So the idea was like, let's turn computers into communication switches. So I was working on that for at least a year before we released it as an open source. And one of the reasons we do that is because we like to, you know, I have a big background in Unix and I like doing things transparently. So building all that software in the early days, uh, it was a way to accelerate also. Like I spent, uh, when I go back now, we, we put our project in GitHub. We started long before there was a GitHub. Um, <laughs> and when we did, I started looking at the stats on it and could see the crazy amount of endless code I was doing. So I got really obsessed with it because of the pursuit of my real vision, which was what we're doing at Sigmar. But you can't really solve that problem completely in open source when you're just kind of yourself. And, and uh, I had like a maximum of the, the core founders of the project with me who have been with me forever. Uh, there's only two other people. So it was three of us. And then we, we at max had 10 people around us that we were actually kind of focused. And, you know, open source communities have input, you know, people do patches and stuff. It's a lot of work. Um, just accepting other people's patches is a full-time job. So when you're doing open source and you're not really building a commercial entity around it, you're not like the funding for it is all volunteer. 
you know, sometimes you get people to pay you to make certain features and stuff like that, but it's like in a different world. It's academic. It's similar to like doing college research. You're building it for the sake of building it, not because you're trying to make money. When you get to the stage where let's say like what I designed and worked with my team to build it on the open source side became ubiquitous and it, it was very flexible because it, you never knew what everybody would want. Like one man's bug was another one's feature. It's like mm -hmm. literally there'd be people, you change something, half of them would get mad and you change it back and the other half get mad. So you have to build a configuration choice to, to make both possible and that kind of stuff. It went on for a really long time. Um, we had a large community and physical conferences once a year where everyone came and demonstrated all the cool stuff they're trying to build with the rest of the open source telecom. There's a bunch of other projects. And like my idea when I built FreeSwitch was that I wanted it to be a, a cog in a, in a more powerful thing. You know, so like I always compare it to like Voltron, which you have to be kind of <laughs> old to remember Voltron, but like I remember Voltron. That was like the cartoon of when I was a kid. I remember watching all the time. So I always think of like SignalWire is like Voltron, where uh, FreeSwitch is just like one of the parts, like the leg that combines into Voltron. Mm -hmm. So in order to make SignalWire, I had to do free switch first. Um, I wouldn't say I necessarily knew I was going to make SignalWire while I was making free switch, but it was in my head. You know, stuff in your head is always foggy when you're trying to bring it to life. So what really happened was the internet wasn't super fast when I started free switch. So voice over IP was cool, but you had to have a data center to use it because yeah. you couldn't just. Most home users couldn't even use it because it's like really slow internet for home. So our servers would live in the internet. We'd make interesting, you know, trunking and SIP trunking and this really like kind of, there's a whole bunch of people who really love all this stuff and they're very niche, I think, because it's like a lot of details and configuring and pointing stuff. It's just more internet protocols, just like HTTP is for the web browser, there's SIP, which is the phone equivalent of that. So we had to build, you know, stuff for that. But what I really wanted to do was uh, combine them all then into this kind of Voltron thing. So in order to do that, that's when it's important to start a company because I can't garner random people who all are trying to solve their own problems. It's community <laughs> guardian and open source. So you can't say like, here, help me build my exact vision. They're like, no, I'm trying to fix my own bug. Here's a patch for it and that kind of stuff. So like there's a line where in order to do it, I had to bring in staff and other visionaries that I learned to meet you know, like all their skills, talking to them for years, people that I thought they would be the right team to do it and I have to pay them. So really like there's a point where innovation must be driven by a commercial entity. So like maybe I could have gotten free switch to be sponsored by some corporate entity that wanted something. And then I could, you know, work with them and build a product together, or I could do that, you know, be our own corporate sponsor, right? So yeah, it kind of backwards. We started a giant open source project, enabled the entire world to, I mean, like there's a whole bunch of really popular use cases on FreeSwitch that could go on forever. And like the, the dollar amount of some of the exits with just companies that use FreeSwitch is measured in billions of dollars, right? So like we hit this point, like how are we going to do it? So let's start the company. The company will foster the open source project and it will use it to build the rest of the, the vision. So there's a lot more to SignalWire than where FreeSwitch, you know, ends. There's there's a lot more to to SignalWire in general as is, is a set of goals and and that's kind of the reasoning. 
what are some of the core things that you thought to yourself, hey, because you, you made a great point. Hey, when it's open source, you can't really control who's contributing and what they're contributing. You will go private and say, well, we're going to create a private company that's going to generate its own revenue. And we're going to focus on some of the features and projects that SignalWire is more interested in. When you first started doing that, what were some of the projects that you wanted to take on? What were some of the features that you knew that you wanted to ship? Because you know, I can understand you're coming from a a developer's point of view, you mentioned it's for developers so that they can implement these communication technologies into their core apps, not have to worry about the infrastructure so their core apps can be more, well, however they envision it really, and build it on the back of SignalWire uh, for comms. What were you thinking right out the gate that you said, hey, this is going to be something that's going to be helpful right now? Because you mentioned already, you also saw your competitors who were already building their technology stacks. So you saw an opportunity. I'm curious what the first wave of features you focused on were and why'd you choose those? Yes, that's a critical decision or strategy. When you're a scrappy new company, you know, just because our technology enabled all these juggernauts doesn't make us equal to them yet, right? Yeah. Brand new company, little seedling. We decided the first thing we should do is create the, you know, our distributed network, building software nodes. Um, we use stuff like Docker in order to, to deploy, you know, repeatable nodes that we can put all over the world. And that infrastructure, the first version of that, we worked very quickly on. And then we made uh, basically compatibility layers with some of the existing APIs that already existed because, you know, you have to start somewhere. And rather than trying to sell a brand new paradigm to people, I, I compare this to like the evolution from the Walkman to the iPhone, right? So there's two lessons there. One is before there was an, uh, an iPhone, there's a device that was amazing. as a little handheld computer. is insane that it could exist as early as it did. And everyone looked at it and threw it over their shoulder. And one reason was because the internet didn't connect to it very easily. Yeah. Um, and no one realized that they needed a handheld computer. Like, I already have a computer on my desk. What is this stupid little computer for? So, like, sometimes when you do really cool ideas and spring them on the world in one second, like, they actually get confused by it. So, you know, the Walkman was an obvious extension of the hi-fi stereo system. And then everyone's like, Walkmans are cool, but, you know, what if it was CDs instead? And then like, what if it was like files? And then they made like a, a MP3 player. We all had probably 10 of those in a box somewhere <laughs> for playing with those in the like late 90s or something. And then uh, it keeps getting better. And then how about the iPod? It's Apple's version of that. And all they simplified it with the menu where you just touch it with your thumb and like, why don't we just make that have a screen? The wheel. People love the wheel. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, well, the screen might as well have, you know, a phone in it too. And then like, oh, what if the phone ran apps? You know, so this progression was necessary and potentially even strategized on rather than just, ta-da, here's an iPhone on day one, everyone would think they didn't need it. Uh, but it's slowly, not only is that intelligent as far as like, a strategy to make people understand it, but it also you keep selling every iteration to the entire world. So obviously there's a lot of upside to doing that, you know, so you can fund the development of the next thing you're building, you know? So we started out making, say like APIs that were compatible with Twilio, for instance. Mm -hmm. So if you already wrote the code and you wanted to write some stuff on SignalWire, you could use your existing knowledge rather than having to learn something new. And, but simultaneously we were working on, you know, the evolution of that, but that is a longer journey. You know, it's taking each year we have more and more innovation. We didn't start with video, for instance, 
we, we had maybe the capability for video on the day we started the company, but it wasn't necessarily easy to just go make video APIs in two seconds. So we kind of scrappied our way through and raised some funding rounds in the Silicon Valley and that kind of stuff so that we could, you know, grow the company. We started with like, there were three people in the room and we said, let's start SignalWire and now we're at 70. So nice. as we go every day, you know, we, how do we do it? We get some money, we hire some people, we try and make some products, we try and throw more. So yeah, we're doing this evolution and the whole time we're just trying to stay committed to like, empower developers, which is what we are. You know, we really love developers. Our open source project is used all around the globe. We know how they think. We like to make sure that we make them, you know, have the tools they need. But meanwhile, you know, even further goal is as those developers build stuff on our network, our network's getting used more, the capabilities required become bigger. And that allows us to simplify it further so that we, you know, transition slowly into being a telecom network that uses it completely on the internet. So that's our real goal, which is going to take a while, but we're working really quickly towards it. And the internet is the catalyst for it. And we have just hit the precipice of 5G. So, you know, with that, now every mobile device will have at least like a couple hundred megabits of data stream. Like they're promising yeah. us a gigabit. I don't know if a saturated area really is going to do that, but we only need four for a really good video call. For eight, we can have an impeccable video call. And for like 15, we can have like a 4K video call. So, you know, we're already like, if it's even a quarter of its promise, 5G, like mobile devices will have no problem doing all kinds of cool interactive video stuff. So every app in its, in its uncle are going to have video support in them. You'll start seeing a world where like, when you visit someone's website or their app or something, like, you'll just disappear. Just like we're talking to each other right now. Like you're just browsing yeah. target and the target worker will come on. Did you need something? I see you've been searching <laughs> around, you know, like where you press the help button and a person appears. So those are things that we always kind of, I've seen commercials kind of mock that up. Like it's not real, but they pretend it is for the sake of the commercial. Yeah. That's all real now. So you know, we make developers able to build that. And that's kind of what we're doing. So we just keep kind of iterating in that same fashion as we, you know, get closer to the future, we start adding even more. If I'm a young developer, like how it like imagines, cause some, we know, you know, the audience of IT visionaries, some of it's more senior people, some of it's more entry level, younger, uh, younger developers, if you will, or younger people first in the coding and tech. You know, if you were, if a young developer were thinking about building their own application and needed to integrate a communications platform, what do you think they would notice different about SignalWire? Like how you guys approach things versus some of your other, some of the other offerings in your field. How do you guys, you guys mentioned before, you're very developer centric. Tell me what that means. So it's a combination of really good timing with your own instincts versus the feedback of actual people. So that's always the problem when you're making APIs. Because the developer who's making the APIs is also a developer. So it's like a developer making stuff for other developers. So is that developer designing it for themselves or for the other person? And you always have these like, you know, is this for you or the imaginary user who's going to use it later? In some cases, like you have to turn that back and forth. So like if I'm doing, if I'm making something that only I need to use, I probably shouldn't think about the usability of everybody else. But if I am thinking about usability of everybody else, I should make sure that I have instinct from my own experience combined 
as much as possible with what other people actually, the feedback we get from it. So, you know, I don't know how exactly different from every other developer we are. We're pretty similar because we are developers. I think that maybe as a company, we take it a lot more to heart than some do because we, you know, I'm a tech founder, right? So I'm not just some business guy that thought of a cool idea to make a company and went and hired a bunch of people to build stuff. Like I built stuff too. Yeah. I still help yeah. build stuff. I'll go talk to the product people. So in the culture of the company is like make your life easier for other people, which is the whole point of developers. That's why we have, we call the user, the user, you know, or that's that person that's going to end up having to work with the software. So we're always there to make them happy. So I think that we bring that, um, we take that pretty seriously and we have kind of a community vibe due to our upbringing. So, you know, we, we have a really huge Slack community like literally signalwire.community in a web browser will get you into our Slack and there's like thousands of people in there and they, you know, they ask each other questions about how they're, what they're doing in signalwire stuff. We're big on storytelling. We really believe in that, you know, passing on and helping people through. Like when you experience something that was really challenging, it's really nice to tell someone else how, how to shortcut through that. Cause instead of a hundred people wasting their time going through the same problem, if you solve it for them all, then they'll hit a new problem. Now you've given all hundred of those people like a new problem to solve. So that's kind of the way we roll with development stuff. And we listen to people and they chat with us and then we get inspired and we keep kind of build the product that way. So the buzzword for that uh, is product-led growth. I hate buzzwords, like I said, but <laughs> I had a whole blog series about how I wanted to take back some of the buzzwords because I always hate when I just sound especially stuff I've been doing for years. It just comes up with buzzwords someday. Like, Oh, well, I guess there's at least a name everyone else will understand, but it's like, I hate even saying them sometimes, but yeah, that's kind of like the industry term for what we do is product led growth. It's like we care about what other people are asking us for and stuff. Now we've come like full circle in our conversation because we started with, you know, in tech people always want to, it's very hard for people to conceptualize something they don't understand. Right. So they always want to bring it to something else. They, they know. And that's like they're generally most people's first instincts. And then so when you just spoke about how you don't like buzzwords, that's exactly what competitors and new entry entrance into the fields. And like you kind of hinted at it when there's maybe well-financed companies, but they're not developer centric because they know the buzzwords, they just hook into them. And then when you're a consumer and let's say you don't know the difference between signal wire and someone else then you're kind of stuck because you're like, oh, this company says it's A and this company also says it's A. Well, A and A are the same. They must be the same. You know, that, that's what ended up happening for most people. Yes. <laughs> so when you think about the future of what you're doing, I mean, it sounds pretty awesome. You know, I'm curious because this, this is something that's come up with other companies that rely on the infrastructure of others. So for example, you, you know, Signal Wire doesn't own cell phone towers, doesn't own the lines in the ground, doesn't, you know, tel traditional telcos tend to own that. Do you ever see a place where they'll say like, hey, all these software companies are making it easier to use our rails, but we're not getting, we're not getting any more fees. Mm -hmm. We need to get more fees. And they come after people like you and they say, hey, hey, SignalWire, you're doing all this stuff on my stuff, but uh, hey, guess what? My stuff has costs, so you need to pay me more. Do you see a conflict arising? Because there's, there's more and more companies you, leveraging, of course, the network infrastructure, the hard assets of other companies. Yes. So sucks to be a telecom company in the traditional sense because you're literally trying to cannibalize yourself <laughs> and you're trying to choose the pace at which you do it so that you 
don't waste money. So you're like, I'm going to end up losing my similar to the MP3 industry, right? Like everyone learned a lesson from that because they're like, screw MP3s are going to arrest you for using them and stuff. And I'm like, Oh wait, we could sell them for a dollar each. Like that's, I guess we should have did that instead of like <laughs> causing all this commotion. Cause most people would rather pay a dollar than go pirate songs, you know, like yeah. what? They're only a dollar. I'll get one right now or 15 bucks a month now for all music. So that's yeah. where it went from this industry. So the same thing is happening with telecom. They hate phone lines. All, all telecom providers hate the fact that they have phone lines and subscribers, but they represent this legacy revenue that you can't say goodbye to in one second. So you got to kind of hope they never realize it. So, so many people probably have like a landline at their house. that doesn't even ring because everybody in the house has their own cell phone. And <laughs> they don't even, no one calls your house anymore, but they still pay the bill. It seems weird not to have a phone. Yeah, you know, yeah. some people maybe have learned that and but don't have a phone anymore, but other ones do. And their whole they like trying to keep that rolling as long as possible because that's the extra money. So then the only way to fix it is to kind of defeat themselves at some point. So they'll go around and work with new startups and stuff like that. And maybe if they find the one that's going to kill them, at least they could own part of it. Or they'll have a heads up and they can kind of copy the same idea or whatever. So there's a big dilemma. I'd hate being in telecom right now if I was running that instead of similar. So I, I would be wasting a lot of time worrying about that all the time, I think. But what I see is happening is that they don't want to have phone calls through phone lines. Nobody wants it. And that's what good because I want it to go away also. <laughs> but we're going to translate it to the internet. Like all those providers and those utilities will only care about the internet. Because if you look at stuff like Starlink, which is the, the ability to get satellite internet that doesn't suck. You know, there used to be HughesNet where it was like one megabit and it was like 200K <laughs> up. And you can't even watch Netflix on it. And uh, But now Starlink is like 300 megabits to a satellite dish. You know, you put it on your roof and then all of a sudden you have this internet infrastructure link that you can now you know, cord cut and then watch Netflix and Hulu on it. And now you don't need a satellite cable anymore. So say goodbye to those guys. Yeah. You don't need that. You don't need that line dug to your house. <laughs> Old school line. Yeah. So the satellite cable companies are like, oh crap, we better figure out how to sell internet instead or something else because no one's going to want to, you know, download TV in a streaming format when you can just, that internet is like bi-directional. Also I can talk out it. And, you know, we can have conversations like this through it. So all providers will care more about the internet first, especially on the mobile ones, because they have like really fast 5G going, you know, and 5G doesn't necessarily only have to be your cell phone. Um, they're starting to make products where you just like stick a thing in your window and it kind of just pulls it out. So we're, we're going to increase the networking capability of the internet. I think that will stop anyone from getting mad at me about being, we're doing telecom stuff because it'll be like, good riddance to this telecom stuff. I just want to sell internet to everybody. And then the telecom will just be apps inside of your phone rather than like the phone is not, you're not getting phone service anymore. You're only getting internet service. And then you buy the phone service yeah. from different vendors through the internet. So the internet will be the only thing they care about what they charge for. Yeah. I like the way you phrase it because we, so even if it's the telco only focuses on internet, they still have the same dilemma, which is they have to continue to maintain a huge infrastructure and support structure that has tremendous bandwidth. And we're, you know, like the Pandora's box is open. We're not going back. We're not going to accept lesser speed ever again, yeah. right? Every application now depends on faster, more blazing connectivity and speed. So they're going to have to continually build their infrastructure networks 
And then they'll probably build to over capacity. So then they need people like SignalWire to get more apps to fill that capacity so they can get the utility out of it. So it is, to your point, they're their own worst enemy at this point. (laughs) Yeah. You know, Tony, it's been a lot of fun having you on the show. But before you go, it's time for the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to you by the Salesforce platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. And Tony, this is where we ask you questions outside of the world of work so that our audience can get to know you a little bit better. You ready? Okay. All right. Right away, we noticed on your LinkedIn that it looks like you are a guitar player. How long have you been playing? Since I was six years old, which is a lot, long time. How would you describe your guitar skills? Good enough. <laughs> What's your favorite songs to play? Pink Floyd, Blues, Beatles. Before you were developing your open source free switch solution, did you develop anything prior to that on your own? So my early career, I made web server stuff. So I didn't build it from scratch like I did with FreeSwitch, but I took like the Apache web server, which was an early open source um, project and made modules for it and created a web hosting platform as part of my job. Nice. When you're not working on SignalWire, not playing guitar, what else do you do for fun? Um, sit quietly. Are you a meditator? Yeah, I wouldn't say I, I don't have incense or anything, but I do like to sit and think. When you become a CEO, there's like a hazing you have to go through because everyone's laughing because they know how hard it is. And it's like, it's not a job. There's two ways to become a CEO. One is being really good at it and then getting hired because you already went through this painful process or appointing yourself CEO of your own startup, which is what I did. So, you know, trial by fire, you learn to, to deal with the ups and downs and, and stop just sitting there doing nothing. And sometimes my favorite sport. <laughs> I think a lot of people can relate to that. Well, Tony, it was great having you on today's episode of IT Visionaries. Thanks for sharing your background in open source, what you're doing at SignalWire, and how you are building a developer-first, developer-centric application for mobile application communications. We don't want to use any of the, I don't want to use any of the buzzwords because you already said you don't like the buzzwords, but it was awesome hearing some of the things that you're looking to do and some of your, uh, you know, your major priorities being that developer-centric product, uh, developers for developers. I really liked hearing some of the stories you told and I always think about what is going to be unlocked with this type of utility. It's hard to imagine sometimes because we think that we're already there, but who knows the imagination of developers out there can take this anywhere. <laughs>